and welcome to Locked on Socks. This is episode number 11, and you heard the different music. We got, you know, a letter from our owners that said that we can't use great music like we've been using on our opens beforehand. So the common Southside song that we usually use is a little different, and sorry for that. Common should get paid for that beautiful music that he and Kanye West made right there. But enough of that. Let's get to our guests. This week, we're going to have a lot of guests, and this is January the 13th. I am recording this. And this whole week, we're going to be doing interviews with folks that are White Sox fans, but not only White Sox fans, White Sox influencers. And what bigger White Sox influencer is there than White Sox Dave? Dave Williams, I appreciate you joining me right now, Dave. It's uh, a pleasure. You know, we've hung out a couple times, and uh, thank you for coming on Locked on Sox with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, can't wait. Love talking White Sox baseball. It's my favorite thing on earth. As I ask everybody who is a guest on Locked on Sox, Lawrence Holmes before you, of course, Steven Nelson from the MLB Network, and Beef Loaf, our guy from the 108, I need to know how you became a White Sox fan, because in this town, it's very hard to find people who have been lifelong White Sox fans like yourself, and you grew up in the area of where I actually grew up. So what is your origin story? It's, it's kind of funny, and it's somewhat long, but I'll make it as uh, quick as possible. So my mom grew up in New Jersey, uh, Tom's River. I had a cousin on the 98 uh, Little League World Series team, Chris Crawford. And uh, Todd Frazier's dad was my mom's gym teacher in high school. So my mom grew up a Mets fan, who, uh, moved out to Chicago, met my dad, started a family out here. Um, and then my dad grew up on the south side, and her cousins uh, moved out to Chicagoland before he did. And she was out visiting them, and that's how – and they were friends with my dad in high school, and that's how my dad and my mom met. So my mom's a Mets fan. My whole mom's side's Mets fans, which is kind of funny because there's a lot of parallels between the whole fan bases. But my dad obviously grew up a Sox fan. He lived in on the south side until he was like 10, 12 years old or something before moving out to the west suburbs. And uh, when I was really young, I was, I was laying around in the living room. I was probably – I want to say like seven or eight years old, but I remember it really vividly. We were watching a Cubs game because we would watch every Cubs game, but we would root against them. And the Aflac trivia question or whatever, it, the answer to it was Billy Williams. And my dad's name is Billy Williams. So I asked my dad, I'm like, whoa, Dan, you played for the Cubs? And he's like, yeah, you didn't know that? I can't believe you didn't know that. And he was just messing with me. So I'm like, well, why do we hate them? Why, why are we Sox fans? And he goes, they didn't pay me enough money. So until I realized, like, my dad wasn't Billy Williams, however long it was later, until I was, you know, 10 years older, however long it took, I thought my dad was Billy Williams, and we just rooted against the Cubs because they didn't pay him enough. So that's kind of like the backstory. And then, you know, and I don't hide my hatred for the Cubs to this day, but I've just been a Sox fan through and through my entire life, and that's kind of the origin story of it. I think it's funny that you didn't think your dad was an old black man. Or you didn't yeah, know no, your dad funny. was an old black man for like right. 10 years. <laughs> and, and Billy Williams was out in the, I want to say, living Glen Ellen. Yeah, Glen Ellen, yeah. He, I ran into him at like Butterfields in Donata a few times and like places around town like Jewel. He'll just like be hanging in. And I, that story always comes to my mind. Like, oh, I used to think you were my dad. I want to know also your playing story because if you guys are following White Sox Dave you see that he could throw a little heat and just had a challenge with a, with a Jared Carabas 
on yeah. uh, Barstool, the Barstool folks out there in New York. And so how did this, you know, throwing hard thing come to pass? Because you're a Wheaton South Tiger, you know, regrettably. But I saw you in the uniform and you're throwing 86, 88 up there. So what uh, happened? How are you doing this? I wasn't throwing that hard. Uh, so going back, so this is what my dad and I would do. My For football, my dad, my dad could throw a two for whatever reason. I guess it's like maybe hereditary a little bit. But my dad, when I was really young, he would shove a pillow up my shirt. And for football, he would sit there in our yard and he would chuck footballs at me as hard as I could. And if it hit the <laughs> pillow, if I tried to use the pillow to, like, catch it with my body, he would freak out and tell me, no, no, you got to catch the ball with your hands. You got to catch the ball with your hands. So the two things I could always do in sports were catch a football. And I had awesome hands, but I wasn't, like, an exceptional athlete by any measure. And I could I could catch anything though for whatever for that reason I I tested I tested too and then for baseball we would sit in the backyard and he would he was a lefty but he would catch for me and he didn't care where the ball went he would just tell me to throw it as hard as I could as hard as I could and we would play long toss for like hours on end in the summer and in like the cul-de-sac and our we'd go to parks and I would just try to throw the ball as hard as I could and as far as I could so I think that like built up arm strength but. As the years went on, I was never a great hitter. I was a very average hitter, but I could, I, I eventually became like an all-conference DVC catcher because I could throw. And if you tried to run on me, you were most likely getting thrown out. So at this point, I'm just a 30-year-old washed-up idiot, but I, I kind of played a meathead high school gym class hero role and heal pretty good. So I, I just kind of run with it, and it annoys a lot of people. But at the same time, they love to rip on me for it. And I kind of just laugh at it. So, like, I was, I was throwing – I threw 81 was the hardest pitch I threw. Uh, the 86, I think, was a misread. But okay. uh, when, I get a, when I get a running start, I can still get it up there mid-upper mid upper 80s with a crow hop. I'm going to put Dave on hold for a second while I tell you about the Arizona Office of Tourism. This spring, follow the White Sox down to Glendale, Arizona for Cactus League spring training games. Amazing weather, landscapes, exciting outdoor activities. The fair is so delicious out there. They even have Chicago-style restaurants out there if you're missing hometown. Arizona is the perfect home base for baseball fans. Follow the White Sox down there. There's 10 stadiums, 15 teams, and 75-degree weather. Meet the players. Get the autographs. Yoan Mancada, Tim Anderson, Yasmani Grandal, Gio Gonzalez, Lucas Giolito, anybody you want. Go down to Arizona. Spring training will be so great for you. You can check out the restaurants like I was talking about. When you're at a restaurant down there, I was in Scottsdale for a spring training game, and then I went from one restaurant to another and sometimes they pick you up in these little golf cart things. They're like extended golf carts. Nothing better than feeling the warm Arizona air at night. You know it's March, and you're like, man, why is it so great out here? It's Arizona. That's why. Arizona's known for its incredible landscapes. They're thrilling outdoor activities. Like I was talking about earlier, you can go out hiking. Where can you do that in Illinois? It's, it's flat land. There's nothing around here. Arizona. Adventures on the outdoors all day long. Water parks for the kids. Take them with you. Family-friendly resorts are everywhere in Arizona. How can you get this? Visit Arizona.com slash spring training right now to plan your spring training getaway immediately. (laughs) 
talking to Dave Williams. And I don't know why I'm doing it radio style. It's just my training. Dave Williams, White Sox, Dave Barstow, WSD on Twitter. And speaking of the White Sox, I'm a big-time Rick Hahn detractor. I remember you pretty much saying, hey, you know what? They're going to be doing things. And on Twitter, if you're following them, you know whenever Rick does something well, Dave's got the, the Vince McMahon, Rick Hahn uh, meme going, gift going for himself. Why did you have so much faith in Rick Hahn, and how vindicated do you feel now that Rick Hahn has had a great offseason? It's, uh, I, I guess because following baseball as a whole, I like that he wasn't of the former player mold. So you look at guys like, you know, or the guy in the news all day today, Jeff Lunau, Theo Epstein, they're all Ivy League educated numbers guys. And I like that Rick Hahn was in that realm instead of just being a former player that looked at all the, like all just did the eye test for everything. And this isn't, uh, like, I, I, I don't dislike Kenny Williams, not in the least. He, I mean, he won a World Series on a team that he built. But I like that Rick Hahn is looking at this in a more analytic, new-aged way. And that was a breath of fresh air to me because they finally picked a a lane. Like, for a long time after the World Series year, it was either – the White Sox were just nothing but, like, 80-ish wing teams, you know? And I was sick of that. So, the last few years have been just awful. They were really hard to watch. You could start to see the – the flashes of what's to come last year with Giolito and Mikata and those guys. But I like that he finally picked a lane and just tore it down, scorched her. And that's not to say that he hasn't screwed up a lot. Uh, obviously, the James Shields for Fernando Tatis deal was a complete and utter just horrible move. Um, a few other things I'm not thinking of off the top of my head, but I, I knew, like, if I was looking at the whole – organization and the organizational timeline from like 30,000 feet. I knew that they were going to strike eventually and put a really good product on the field and a product that wouldn't just be like a one-year flash in the pan, like 2005, unfortunately was. So I'm really excited with the, with the future of this team. And it's not going to just be this year where they might sneak into the playoffs, might win. And then all these guys, you know, they're on expiring contracts. These guys are going to be on the team. They're going to keep adding next offseason through trades. So, like, I was just looking at it like that. Like, you got to be really bad to be really good sometimes. The Astros did it. The Cubs did it. The Red Sox lost 100 games or 98 games a few years ago. A lot of teams do that. And this is finally where we're going to start to see all that suffering pay off. So, um and, I, and on, on a personal level, like, he, he gave me a, the time of day when I was nobody, you know, two, three years ago. So I appreciate that, and I'll have his corner for that for selfish reasons. But um, as far as what he's done with the organization, I think him, Kenny Williams, and someone who I've given a ton of shit to, Jerry Reinsdorf, I think they all deserve a ton of credit for this winner. So which of the moves that they made this offseason is your favorite? Not the best necessarily, but you, yourself, which one is more, most appealing to you? I'll say, oh, man, I, I would have I killed for Zach Wheeler. That, I mean, you can't pin that on the White Sox at all. I think it's just his wife wanted to live on the East Coast. You know, happy wife, happy life, as they say. But it, it's grand all. I mean, that, that, that move happened, what was it, mid-November? like two or three weeks after the World Series. Mm-hmm. And that basically kicked off the offseason for baseball. And it's like, all right, if they're signing, you know, a catcher to a 75 or $78 million deal, whatever it was, 
they're not fucking around. They, they're not going to do that and then not try to, you know, compliment him with, with more additions, you know. So that, that was easily my favorite move. And that's not to say I don't like uh, McCann either because I love McCann and how he handles the staff, how he works with the pitchers. And that's coming from Lucas Giolito and Dylan Cease. People I've talked to a few times are like, this, you don't understand how much work this guy puts in behind the scenes to make us better, to make our jobs easier. So I think they got the best catcher doing baseball. And uh, Grandall, like, I love it. There's, there's nothing not to like about that. And I would hit him lead off to start the year. I was literally just about to ask you, what is your lineup? Because we, I know you don't like Yohan Moncada as the leadoff guy. Putting a, put, putting a rookie up there and Luis Robert up there, not ideal in his first year. So Grandal, the guy who's going to be leading off, he had a, what, a 380 on, on base percentage yeah. last year? So, he gets on base like crazy. So follow that up. Who's after that? Is it Yohan? Yeah, Johan's number two all day, every day. And he, I'm going to look at his splits last year. He improved like crazy from the right side. His power wasn't totally there, but it improved immensely. He had like 850 OPS from the right side. I'm sticking him in the two hole and just leaving him there. I don't care if it's a right-handed pitcher or left-handed pitcher. Don't mess with him. Just let him get comfortable in the two hole. After that, I would, I would probably go, I hate, I don't like a break in the three hole either. Um, but I have a feeling Renneria will be there. Yeah. Um, I would, too. I would have, I would have him more six, and then any combo of uh, Encarnacion. Uh, who else? Who else am I missing? Eloy. Eloy, yeah, Eloy, and like those guys, three, four, five, six, and then I have Anderson like seven. And if you have a you know a reigning batting champion hitting seventh, your your offense is like cooking with gas, you know. Yeah, you are doing something. I mean, I. I, whatever I get told that you know Jose Abreu is an RBI machine, and then they want to bat him third, I'm like, well, if we get all these people in front of him, and he truly is an RBI machine, I don't believe that necessarily. He's just good uh, in clutch situations. I think that you know people getting in front of him is negligible. But if you want him to drive in more runs, you have more people in front of him, so bat him fifth or sixth, as you suggested and have him do the job that you think that he can do. Um, Grandal is the leadoff hitter. Wow. I never heard anybody say that, but it does make sense. A guy like that starting the game off with on base, he walks a ton. He's probably one of the only guys, him and Encarnacion, one of the only guys that do that on this Sox team so far because they're so young and not many of those guys have a high on base. Even though Timmy is a 360 guy, I think he walked like 15 times last year. Right, yeah, and I don't, I don't think he's going to duplicate. I, I hope, I would love to be wrong. I don't think he's going to hit 335 next year. I mean, you look at all his peripherals; they're not, you know, they're not something that's going to carry over from season to season. Season, but if he hits, you know, 280 with a 320 on base next year and hits 20 home runs, steals 25, 30 bases, and he does have to improve defensively, but that's an awesome hitter. For, that's an awesome shortstop in the seven hole, you know. But I, he, like, I think I'm like I'm separating this how I think Renneria is going to set the lineup up and how I would set the lineup up. I'm assuming Anderson's going to be the leadoff hitter on March 26th, which okay. I can live with. I can live with. Just we got to hope that he he pounds. You know, he's he's finding green grass as much as he was last year because he is what he is as a hitter at this point, which is a good hitter, but he's not going to. He's not going to get on. There's going to be stretches where he's he's not walking for you know a hundred bats in a row, 
which isn't great for a leadoff hitter. I think once Robert does settle in, he could make a good leadoff hitter. But if it, if you're giving me the choice between him and Madrigal, I think Madrigal is polished enough where he could handle the leadoff role just fine right now. But at the same time, I would rather have him hitting ninth and, and just being that little pesky pest at the bottom of the order that you know can hit behind second second baseman who can move runners, who can bunt, who can do all that little pesky Adam Eaton-type stuff from the nine hole. So I'm reading you right. If you're having Abreu at six, you're having Luis Robert at five then. Yeah, I can, I can live with that. Um, all right. It's, 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 I think he's going to get exposed right off the bat because I watched – they play 144 games, I think, it is in the minor leagues. I think I probably watched about 100 of his games on – on the internet last year, and he does chase a lot of pitches, specifically sliders and breaking pitches, mm. uh, outside the zone. So he's gonna, I mean, we saw it with Eloy last year. He's going to get fed that nonstop, and until he proves he can lay off that pitch or at, or at best take it the other way for a hit or at worst lay off that pitch, he's going to struggle a little bit. I'm just warning all White Sox fans out there, especially Ken W.O., my favorite White Sox <laughs> idiot, that he's going to struggle and there's going to be struggles, but once he does click, he's going to be. I mean, he's one. Of, he's going to be one of the most dynamic offensive players in baseball. He's got that much talent in him. Let's move on to the rotation, which I still worry about. I'm not necessarily worried about the bullpen. I think the bullpen problems take care of themselves if you have better starters out there. And they went out and got Giovanni Gonzalez and Dallas Keuchel to make this starting rotation a little bit better, I don't think it is 100%. I only like it to be great or good when Michael Kopech becomes the guy that he is going to become. So he's going to be more than likely starting in AAA, that, which leaves Ronaldo Lopez as maybe your fifth starter, fourth starter if you go there. How do you see the starting rotation sussing out, and what do you like in that first couple months of the league of the year? So, obviously, Gio and Keiko are the one to uh, kind of by default. I, I know Keiko has, like, he's not the same Cy Young pitcher he was two, three years ago or whatever it was. Gio's the best pitcher on the team, so don't even got to worry about him. After that, uh, like, Cease, I think, is a given for the rotation until he proves he shouldn't be in the rotation, which I think he's going to take a huge step forward this year. Um, it's For him, it's all about fastball command, which is not – dissimilar from many young pitchers but like you said they got to ride the offense or well not like you said but the back end of the rotation does kind of scare me to start april and going into may the they're gonna have to ride the offense to a lot of wins in the first month of the season i think they have the offense where they can do that but um lopez will find out he can't really be too much worse than he was last year and then gonzalez we'll see if he's if he can give, you know, just keep them in the ball game from the fourth, fourth or fifth part of the rotation. So, um, but once Kopech gets back, I think he will be one of the very best pitchers in baseball, top 10, 12 pitcher or better in the game. He's got that freaky kind of mentality where he just expects nothing but domination and his stuff supplements it. So um, it's just about getting him the reps, getting his arm back to game shape. And then after that, when Radon's back, I would love, love, love if he was like an Andrew Miller-type swing man when Andrew Miller was on the Indians and he was just dominating for an inning or two, two, three times a week. 
that would be awesome to me. I would also love that, but I know Rodon is a third pick in the draft. His agent is Scott Boris. I don't know exactly. if he understands that him being a dominant left-handed closer is probably in his best interest. Hopefully somebody gets to him and says, you know what, this starting pitching thing has been left you on the shelf every single year of your career. Being a guy who's got a filthy slider and a high fastball, high-velocity fastball, coming out of the bench and being a Andrew Miller, like you said, or Josh Hader type of guy would be much more advantageous for your career. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, we've seen those guys get paid big, big bucks. And if, I mean, Rodon's got a, including an injury, he's got about a year and a half worth of pitching left before he's a free agent. So um, you, you never know how someone's going to come back from Tommy John right off the bat. We hope he's going to come back well. But are the Sox going to baby his arm? Or is he going to, you know, have to start from scratch trying to find that fastball command? Is he, how's his third pitch going to be? Because we know, he struggled throwing the changeup thus far in his career for the first four years. So um, I think, you know, as a back-end guy, he can just kind of ditch, ditch the changeup, just go fastball slider and say, here it is. It's going to come at you upper 90s because I don't have to conserve any velocity now that I'm only throwing 20 to 30 pitches. And let's go see if he can hit it, see how far he can hit it. It's me versus you. So, And we've seen those guys like uh, uh, Josh Hader for the Brewers. He, he's going to, if the Brewers trade him, he would get a King's ransom in return just because he can shut down a team in a high leverage spot. I think Radon has that ability in him, but like you said, I don't know if he wants that. I don't know if his agent wants that, but at the same time, I think at this point, he might be best suited for that. And the last really thing I have for you today, and appreciate you coming on with us, we're biased in this regard, so... I think the White Sox are not only contenders in the AL Central, I'm looking at them as the favorites in the AL Central. I know the the Minnesota Twins won 100 games, but the year before they won 70-plus games, and that type of jump, firstly, is going to lead to some regression, and then secondly, they lost a lot off of their Major League team last year. C.J. Crone's off the team, and Jonathan Scope, big-time members of their team, not the biggest, but also guys that helped them set the Major League record in home runs. What do you expect this year from the White Sox? Do you think they're the favorite? Do you think they can win this division? I don't want to call them the favorite yet. And then, I mean, the Twins are the favorite until they're not the favorite. Kind of like if you win the Super Bowl, you're the Super Bowl champion, you're not. That's kind of how I think of it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's no shot they win 100 games this year. The White Sox are, as everybody across the country, national analysts to local analysts, say, the most improved team in baseball. So, I mean, they're not going to win 100 games. They'll, I'd say they're a 90-92 win team maybe, but, I mean, they, their pitching staff stinks. Uh, Pineda suspended the first month of the season. Uh, if, I mean, say, say Oda Rizzi goes down with an elbow injury, that's your second-best pitcher. Or, like, I, I, they got, like, two-and-a-half starters on their team, and the rest of the guys are kind of pieced together. And then I don't they're know why they didn't go after Keiko. Yeah, then they're lowballing their best pitcher for $400,000. I mean, in arbitration. It was just, Which is bananas to me. Yeah, just give him the money he wants. Damn it. He's been good for you for a couple of years. We're, of course, talking about burials. So it's ridiculous what the Twins are doing up there, and I don't like them, and I hate the Royals, and it's funny that they're bringing back Alex Gordon maybe. So it's going to be years of pounding those some bitches for 
just all the grap that they've given us. I just watched that video of, uh, I forgot his name, Keller hitting Timmy yes, after Timmy pimped that home run. Baby, I want to smash the Royals every single chance they get him. And that starts on March 26th, right yes, here yes. at Guaranteed Rate. I hate that I don't really like my, my hatred for AL Central teams is kind of cyclical. Like when the Royals went to back to back World Series, I couldn't stand them. They, they were like, they would just, you know, make contact and pepper the ball all over the field. They're cocky. The Sox and them got in that the fight. Uh, that was them, right? With uh, Samarja? Yeah, Samarja. Yeah, with Samarja. The captain of Attitude. Yeah. So, uh, them, then in the early to mid-2000s with Morneau and Maurer, I couldn't stand those twins seeing the blackout game and all that. Then, I mean, I never really hated the the Tigers, I Me guess. either. But, I've never hated like, the Tigers. I wish I just had a hatred for one of these teams. And if it's going to be the Twins the next few years, that's more than fine with me because I, I can't stand them right now because their fans are so insufferable. And they're like, the White Sox won 72 games last year. They're not going to win 90 games. You're crazy. I'm like, like you just said, Herb, they had that like 30-game swing last year. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable how their fans forget after one season that they didn't, that they did the exact same thing that White Sox potentially could do this year, you know? Exactly, and I don't. Yeah, I don't understand how they're puffing their chest as the as if they're better than us, and that's what I want to do to the AL Central for the next ten years. Just smash those people down and ju- tell them to enjoy second and third, fourth and fifth place because these fans out here, you, like you said, the Twins fans are insufferable. Like they've been winning championships every year, and we're the people to be looking down at. What is it? Sixteen straight games they've lost in the playoffs. Yeah. They yeah they they play three more games than the White Sox every year. That's it. They have three extra games and they're off the team. It's truly crazy, but yeah, I'm looking I'm looking forward to just an intense hatred between the fan bases for the next decade. So, all right, sign me well, up for it. Oh my goodness, guys, he's got so hyped up about talking about those damn Twins and Royals. I just hate them so much, and I'm so glad the White Sox are now at a place where they can compete and beat these teams finally, like the last couple years. And we're recording on the day that the Houston Astros get uh, fined and then suspended and then subsequently fired by the owner. So I will always think about the White Sox always handled the good teams pretty well. Like they've won the series versus Houston the last couple years and the Yankees they've handled. So all we need to do is beat these teams that have been beating us, like the Royals and the, the also rans and then we'll have the 90 wins that we need to win the AL Central. Right, Dave? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's my magic number this year. If they can get to 90 wins, they should make the playoffs, and they're not going to win the wild card because the wild card will come out of the East. Um, but it's, it's going to. I mean, I think the, the Red Sox are going to stink again. I don't think they're going to be any good, and who knows what happens with Cora and all that. But um, I think the Yankees and Rays are going to be stacked again, and then. So it, it comes down to the Sox winning the division. I think 90 is the magic number. If they can get to that number, that's an 18-game swing, then they're going to be they're, – we're going to have fun September baseball for the first time in, what, since 2012, Eight? was it? 12, yeah. We, then we ruined the three-game lead. Damn it. Yeah, they choked. Right. <sighs> Damn it. That hurt. Yep. Um, yeah, it did. <laughs> tell, the, tell the folks where they can read you, see you, and consume White Sox Dave information. You can read me online at BarstoolSports.com. You can find me on Twitter and, I guess, Instagram, too, even though I never really updated at all. Um, at White Sox Dave, I think. it's no, There's no Barstool in the handle then. Oh, okay. Other than that, it's, uh, yeah, you'll, I'm pretty loud and obnoxious on the Internet. A lot of people like it. A lot of people don't. 
and I'll never change for it. Yeah, fuck the people who don't. I mean, they're not going to be yeah, on your front, exactly. your side anyway. So that's what I say. But uh, thank you for joining me, Dave. I appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you guys having me. We will do it again soon. It's Herb Lawrence. I am your host of Locked on Socks, and this week we have a lot more guests. So if you're listening to this on the week of January 13th, get ready. We've got more guests for you this week. We're going we're gonna to blow it out. We're going to have White Sox influencers all week long. And if I'm missing somebody, if you're out there and you're like, hey, Herb, what the hell? I'm a White Sox influencer. I'm a guy or girl that loves the White Sox, and I do this on Twitter, and I do this blog, or I do this podcast also. Give me some shine. Give me a DM on EctorWall23, Locked on Socks, email at LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. Please, I need all the input I can get. I miss people all the time, just in plain sight. My mom used to say if it was a snake, it would have bit me. So, yes, I need help in this regard. I need to know who you think are White Sox influencers that I have not spoke to at all. Thank you for listening to Locked on Sox. It's Herb Lawrence saying goodnight.